to Stone's Notes by Stone Consulting. I'm Maureen Stonehouse. On today's episode, I'm talking to Dr. Nancy Chow, geologist at the University of Manitoba. We'll be discussing the Duvernay and Keg River formations with reference to Nancy Chow, Jack Wendt, and Lavrandi Stecks' scientific research paper titled Productivity versus Preservation Controls on Two Organic Rich Carbonate Bases in the Devonian of Alberta sedimentological and organic petrological evidence. Some highlights include discussing the debate between organic matter preservation due to bottom water anoxia and high organic productivity. We're rocking out today with Nancy Chow. Welcome to Stone's Notes. Thank you for inviting me. So in the paper that you wrote 26 years ago, as we just discussed, but it's still a classic, there were two formations that you analyzed, both the Duvernay and the Cake River, and they had different organic matter productivity and preservation methods. So in the Duvernay, the organic matter was preserved due to bottom water anoxia, and in the Cake River, the organic matter accumulated due to high organic productivity. What differences would one expect to see in the source rocks due to these depositional differences? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, just to give an overview of the uh, of that paper, the major differences between the source rocks controlled primarily by preservation and those controlled primarily pro- by productivity uh, become really apparent through detailed study that integrates sedimentology and organic petrology. I think that's one of the strengths of the, of the study. Um, And we were particularly interested in the relationships between total organic carbon contents, depositional facies, and what we now refer to as organic facies. So for the Duvernay Formation, the most organic rich laminites correspond to the deepest water, most condensed basinal successions. And that indicates that preservation was probably the primary control and that normal productivity prevailed. So primary um, that, that preservation really was the, 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 the key driver. For the Keg River Formation, the relatively shallow water depths and the occurrence of evidence for widespread algal blooms suggests that high productivity along a shallow ramp was the primary control. So those were kind of the key findings in terms of what we found were the differences between those two different types of source rocks. Yeah, both have high organic content. And I like how you mentioned there that it was different organic facies and lots of microscope work was done in order to really determine that. You did talk about as well that there were six different depositional controls on the accumulation of the sedimentary organic matter and mentioned that the interplay of these determined the formation of those organic rich facies. What are the depositional controls that you looked at? For marine accumulations of organic matter, the the studies that have been done looking at these controls in considerable detail, um, they've identified, as you said, six major controls. Um, The first one is bottom water oxygenation. Um, Next one is primary planktonic productivity. Uh, Then it goes on to um, supply rate of terrestrial organic matter, uh, and that's organic matter from fluvial sources or perhaps by wind transport. Uh, Water depth is a control, uh, and that influences the settling rate or the flux of organic matter. Uh, We then look at the deposits themselves in in terms of sediment texture and mineralogy. And then the final one is bulk sedimentation rates. So 
Much of the debate about the origin of the marine organic rich facies has focused on whether enhanced preservation or high productivity, high primary productivity, uh, is the first order control on the accumulation of this sedimentary organic matter, hence the title of uh, preservation versus productivity. Uh, On the preservation side, bottom water water anoxia is considered to be the major control on organic matter accumulation. So these anoxic conditions are caused by stable density stratification of the water column. And this stratification can be due to temperature or salinity variations. And and these conditions restrict or eliminate benthic organisms and bioturbation at or just below the seafloor. And that promotes preservation of organic matter. On the productivity side of the debate, high organic production in near-surface waters uh, is considered to be the dominant control for organic matter accumulation. Coastal or or oceanic upwelling of deep, cold, nutrient-rich waters into the photic zone produces high planktonic production uh, and an increase in organic matter settling to the seafloor. Bacterial degradation that can occur um, through this settling organic matter might actually create localized anoxic bottom water conditions, which helps to preserve the organic matter. So it's not, it's never completely productivity or completely preservation, um, but um, it's really looking at what is considered to be probably the, the, the main control as best we can tell. Yeah, it sounds like the water column and how much oxygen was in it really had a major driver, no matter what the depositional control was as well. Yes, yeah, definitely. You mentioned that the sedimentation rates also affect the amount of TOC in the organic source rock. What is the correlation between sedimentation rate and TOC? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting problem because it has both a a kind of a positive and a negative contribution. So high sedimentation rates can actually increase the uh, total organic carbon content of sediment by promoting more rapid burial of the organic matter. So this reduces the time for degradation of organic matter as it's sitting on or near the sea floor under oxidizing conditions. Um, And and this is particularly important when the the overall bottom water conditions are oxygenated uh, and and this high sedimentation rate then helps to promote preservation of organic matter. On the other side, um, high sedimentation rates can also have a negative effect by reducing or what we could refer to as diluting the amount of TOC. Uh, In the rock record, marine source rocks with high TOC values typically occur in condensed sections, you know, successions that have, that had low sedimentation rates. So, you know, high sedimentation rates, good and bad, depending on the, um, on the scenario. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. (laughs) Yes. In order to study the Duvernay offsetting the Redwater Reef Complex, and the Cape River formation in the Senex and Lecret subbasins, you used organic petrology. So you looked at macerals and algonite, I'm gonna say this right, archaeatric density. Um, So as a refresher, what are those and what is the importance of them? 
Masterals are solid organic particles. The, the term, as best I understand it, was originally developed or used for uh, coal petrology, um, but we now use it for other organic rich facies. So um, these solid organic um, uh, particles have characteristic physical and chemical properties. Um, and, and the analogy that people commonly use is that uh, masterals are to organic rich rocks as minerals are to inorganic rocks. So these are kind of the, the, the components of these organic rich rocks. So the, the work um, on the, the masterals for our study, the organic petrology uh, on the Duvernay and Keg River samples were done, um, was done by Vern Stasiak. And at that time, he was uh, at the Geological Survey of Cal uh, in Calgary and uh, was the key driver in doing all the organic petrology. Uh, for Jack and myself, um, we would be able to follow what Vern had uh, identified in terms of the different mass rules, but we kind of turned to each other at times and you know, kind of just shrug our shoulders and say, oh, that sounds good. And so he used, uh, sorry, Vern used uh, white and fluorescent incident light microscopy to examine and identify the masterals. And so this involved uh, mounting um, some of these uh, samples into uh, resin blocks and then uh, grinding and polishing them down and then looking at them with, uh, with uh, microscope uh, under oil immersion lenses and, and other techniques. The types of masterals that were of importance uh, for, for our study include these alginites, uh, the acrotarchs, and the, um, the sporinites. So alginites are the remains of algal material. Acrotarchs are kind of this um, uh, garbage bag term of, of, of uh, organism, for organisms that are unicellular, uh, rigid walled, uh, they are, are organic bodies, but they have an uncertain biological origin. Uh, and the ones that we were particularly interested in, uh, in were the, the so-called spiny or uh, canthomorphic forms of acrotarchs because they uh, were key in identifying uh, one of uh, some of the organic facies. The sporinites are the remains of spores and pollen that are of terrestrial, uh, sorry, from terrestrial plants. But the study of the, the masterals, the reason they're, they're important uh, and the reason that um, I think this study by integrating the organic petrology, the study of these masterals with the sedimentology is so valuable is that this work gives us a, basically a snapshot of the phytoplankton population in the water column. Uh, and that phytoplankton population is controlled by factors such as water depth, which we talked about already, nutrient supply, as well as the uh, agitation of the water, the, the energy conditions um, of the setting. Yeah, that's fantastic. I like the way you phrased that, that macerals are like minerals, but to organics instead of to sedimentary rocks. That's a great way to remember it. And I think... Um, not too many geologists have done organic petrology, so that was fantastic to have a bit of a, of a reminder there. And it makes sense for the next question, too. You had photoplanktonic assemblages as a model in the Duvernay. What were the main findings of that model? That model was key to the findings of the um, of the paper for both, well, primarily the Duvernay, but also for the, the, Keg, the Keg River. Um, Vern used the um, uh, a model that had been published um, before 
um, and really refined it to and adopted it to the to the Duvernay formation. So he used the mastral types and their abundances and distribution in the Duvernay formation to um, set up uh, this refined facies model, organic facies model, um, and and it relates the changes in mastral assemblage to bathymetric changes during times of normal productivity. That's kind of important to underscore that this is you know, normal productivity times. Um, and so that model has three organic facies uh, and they're, they're named very simply A, B, and C uh, and starting from deeper water to shallower water. So organic facies A uh, represents the most basin word masseral assemblage. And it's dominated by small fin-walled alginites um, that are called prasinophytes. These are these small unicellular um, types of organisms. Uh, the organic facies B is an intermediate depth mastral assemblage, and it has um, similar alginites to organic facies A, but it also has an abundance of spiny acrotarchs. And then the third facies, the organic facies C, represents a mastral assemblage uh, in the position that's most proximal to the reef margin. And it's characterized by having the same mastral assemblage as organic facies B, but it has persistent colonial alginites and sporinites, kind of what you would expect being kind of more proximal to uh, you know, either the, the reef or you know, shoreline or whatever. Um, and the other thing that was uh, really cool about the, the, the work that Vern did on the macerals is that um, he was able to identify macerals um, that showed us intervals of elevated phytoplanktonic productivity. And so the presence of these features that are resting cells of filamentous algae, uh, which are called algal aconite cells, and they only form during stressful conditions, is considered to be unequivocal evidence for high productivity episodes. And so that was really cool because I actually I can identify aconite cells, not, not, in, not much of the other uh, macerals. And, and so having this little, I don't know if it's quite appropriate to use, but this little smoking gun a bit of evidence for algal blooms was really interesting. So the organic facies um, characterized by these, or by these aconite cells um, was simply referred to as um, the organic bloom organic facies. And, and so that's kind of how this all came together where we have organic facies A, B, and C for normal productivity conditions. And, and then these organic bloom facies under high productivity conditions. And that then uh, combined with the sedimentology that Jack and I did really kind of helped us pull the whole thing together. Yeah, it would be super exciting to find the one that was more indicative as well to really show the difference between the two different, the algal blooms and then the normal deposition of the organics and really solidify your thesis, which is fantastic. So the Duvernay formation has two main organic rich intervals within it. How do these change across Alberta? Uh, this was work that um, was the background for what Jack did on the uh, Jack Wenty did on the Duvernay formation, and so this has been published uh, elsewhere. But um, in general, uh, we've got, uh, and maybe many of your listeners know this, but the West Shale Basin and the East Shale Basin, and so in the West Shale Basin, which is west of the Rimby Meadowbrook Leduc Reef Trend, um, the Duvernay Formation has two major these two major organic rich intervals that you commented on, and they're separated by an organic lean lime mudstone. 
um, as we go westward, that lime mudstone thins. And, and in the area that is north of the Peace River Arch, uh, those two organic rich intervals actually merge because that lime mudstone interval has, has disappeared. Uh, and that's actually referred to as the Musqua formation that um, you know, uh, is of interest. In the East Shale Basin, uh, the upper organic rich unit is present and it grades upslope and intertongues with the shallow water carbonates of isolated Leduc reefs um, and also the Grossmont platform. So this kind of leads us to the, the red water reef complex, which is the focus of the, uh, of, of the paper that uh, the Duvernay formation um, and the Duke formation that Jack worked on. And um, in the East Shale, it's in the East Shale Basin. And on the northeast margin of that reef complex, um, there's a series of cores uh, in very good shape um, and form the basis for the sedimentological work that, that Jack did. And it provided a, a really great opportunity to examine the stratigraphic relationship um, between the Duvernay uh, in the, the Borbasinal portion um, and then the adjacent, uh, the Duke Formation, the, the Redwater Reef. And that allowed us to investigate the influence of the reef carbonate factory um, on the adjacent basin environment um, and its uh, organic rich facies. So, you know, kind of the, that was the kind of the regional context for, um, for the work. Yeah, and it's always so good to have the regional context. So then when you zoom in, you know exactly where we're talking about. So Redwater is in the East Shale Basin. And the Leduc formation here was divided um, by yourself into the lower, middle, and upper, with then five major cycles in the middle. And you mentioned that the middle Leduc had the highest TOC amounts. How significant is the subdivision of the Leduc? And is this something you'd recommend doing in future studies? Yeah, good question about kind of being able to apply this kind of work elsewhere. And the work on Redwater was done by Jack Wente, as I'd mentioned, and he was at the Geological Survey of Canada at, uh, in Calgary at, uh, as well. Um, and his identification of shallowing upward cycles in the Redwater Reef um, and his correlation work downslope into the coeval Duvernay cycles really was key to the, the sedimentological framework. And it allowed for investigation of the influence again of the, 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 the reef factory um, on the, 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 the organic rich facies in, in the basin. Uh, so for example, the, you know, as you commented, the, the middle Leduc member, which has the five major cycles and um, being the, the most organic rich of the, uh, of the, the units, you know, the highest TOC amounts, uh, those five cycles in the middle of Duke uh, were grouped into a lower transgressive phase, an intermediate aggradational phase, and an upper regressive phase. Uh, and even though the Leduc member in general having the highest TOC content is a you know kind of a, a good observation, and what Jack realized was that it was specifically the aggradational phase of the middle of Duke which had the laminites with the highest TOCs. So without doing that kind of detailed work on uh, the, the sequences, the cyclicity, it, there's, a, there's a tendency to, to have lumped everything together and not realize that the, the finer points in being able to do the correlations between shallow, between reef um, and, and coeval equivalent basinal um, deposits. And, and, and so the importance for this uh, for other studies, and um, I, I think, 
any kind of sedimentological study these days where there's um, cyclical sedimentation um, controls and so on really requires us to address cyclicity and detail correlations. Um, and so, you know, the, the correlations between the Leduc and the Duvernay are just one example, but um, any succession that has a platform to base in transition um, in the geologic record um, really has to be studied um, in, a, in a similar kind of fashion. And, and, and it really allows then for um, some better understanding of the role of the various controls, whether they're autogenic or allogenic controls on sedimentation, because you just can't lump a reef and then look at its adjacent basinal facies without seeing what the, the stages are in terms of reef and basin development. Yeah, there is a cross section you had in the paper that showed this really nicely, the relationship between the Leduc um, and the Duvernay in this redwater area. It's quite beautifully done. Uh, yes, and, and actually the uh, Bulletin of Canadian Petroleum Geology was uh, our top choice for this paper because it allowed foldouts. And, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, with these cross sections, it's really difficult to get it all onto one, uh, you know, letter size page. And so the fact that they were very, uh, supportive of fold, uh, of us including foldouts that that was um, definitely a, a, a great uh, uh, you know a great thing to be able to include in the paper. Yeah, now we need to see the original instead of the PDF where you zoom zoom in out zoom in and out and miss that right. <laughs> That's right. What is the correlation between the bioturbation and the TOC? as well as the cyclical shifts that you were just talking about in the subdivision and the TOC. Uh, yes, yeah. For the um, Duvernay formation in redwater, um, the laminite samples with minor bioturbation have high TOC values, uh, typically greater than 5%. And they have organic facies B and A. And if you recall, those are the intermediate to deep water assemblages. Um, samples that are at the other end that are completely bioturbated have low TOC values, less than about 1%. And organic facies C, the shallow water assemblages. So the correlation between bioturbation and TOC content suggests a hydrodynamic control on organic matter accumulation. The most basinward area of low energy conditions corresponds to the organic facies B and A and a low level of bottom water oxygenation. In contrast, the more shallow water area of higher energy corresponds to the, the, that shallower organic phase CC and a, a high level of bottom water oxygenation. The other correlation between cyclicity and TOC uh, is important as well, and it shows that TOC values are typically higher in the lower part of individual cycles, and the TOC values decrease upward uh, within the cycle. And the organic facies C, the shallower facies, uh, becomes dominant in the upper part of each of those cycles. So, you know, TOC and organic facies also vary between cycles, not just within cycles. And so, for example, the middle Leduc cycles, uh, two, three, and four, which went into more details, um, have the highest TOC values and um, an abundance of the intermediate organic facies B. Um, and these cycles of the middle Leduc represent the deepest water conditions 
Um, Jacket estimated them to be up to uh, water conditions to be up about um, 19 meters depth uh, and the furthest backstepped position of the reef margins. You know, so the highest TOC values under these kinds of settings. So taking those two relationships between bioturbation uh, and uh, TOC, cyclicity and TOC, um, they suggest that the first order control on the organic rich facies in the Duvernay uh, is preservation due to bottom water anoxia. And I haven't given you the evidence for this, but there's also um, other evidence for the influence of sediment dilution, which you know, was one of those other controls on um, organic matter accumulation, and also the occurrence of sediment gravity flows that bring in coarser sediment and more oxygenated waters uh, into those deeper water settings that can kind of disrupt um, the, the, the bottom water anoxia uh, temporarily. Um, so, yeah, those relationships between those, um, you know, bioturbation cycles and TOC, um, recognizing that was really uh, another uh, main uh, key to uh, putting everything together here. Yeah, seeing the correlation might make it so that you could look at core and have a bit of a visual guess without having to go all the way to the thin section and petrography level, hey? Uh, yeah, but in this, yes, but in this study um, or this kind of study, uh, core work is absolutely essential. Uh, you know, the, the starting point is is uh, working with well logs and so on, but um, without being able to do the core work and having that transect from shallow into deeper, um, that would be really difficult. And it's just, it's, um, it's that core work is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. I really fed into the conclusions here. Yes, yeah. The Keg River formation consists of the lower Keg River, lower ramp sequence, and upper ramp sequence. And then the upper Keg River has the overlying shelf and basin sequence, along with isolated reefs. What were the key features within each of these sequences of the Keg River? Uh, yes. Um, so this information provides the, 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 the stratigraphic and the sedimentological framework for looking at the organic rich facies within the Keg River. And the, the focus was looking at uh, a transect again from shallow into uh, deeper water um, from the Senex platform into the Lacrete subbasin. And so the, the lower Keg River member uh, is uh, about 13 to uh, 40 some odd meters thick. Um, and it actually has two major shallowing upward successions. So the, the lower ramp sequence that you mentioned is up to about 12 meters thick. Um, and it has a, a basal interv- interval of, of uh, mudstones that are massive to laminated. Uh, and those are overlain by uh, an interval of brachiopod to crinoid rich wax stones to float stones and rud stones. So much more, uh, much more um, uh, fossiliferous. The bituminous laminites in this part are they only they're only local, uh, and uh, they have TOC values of really no more than two percent, uh, and the the masserols are similar to uh, what are seen in the Duvernay organic face sea, so relatively shallow water assemblages. Uh, the upper ramp sequence in the lower Cape River member uh, is a bit thicker; it's up to twenty eight meters thick. And it's composed of a very distinctive lower bituminous succession, 
Uh, and that grades up into a carbonate-dominated succession, which um, makes up the, the rest of that upper ramp sequence. Uh, in the proximal ramp setting, um, that so-called bituminous section uh, is quite thick. It's up to about 21 meters. Um, but it's interesting in that it's composed of um, these meter scale cycles of green dolomitic shales, which have some TOC, uh, well, lowish TOC content, um, and uh, interbedded with uh, carbonates. And as we go basinward, the green shales grade into like the full-blown bituminous laminites. Uh, and then into the Lacrete subbasin, those bituminous laminates actually coalesce into a single bituminous laminite unit uh, that's referred to as the bituminous marker. Uh, and that bituminous marker is typically one to uh, up to five meters thick. Uh, and the TOC values range from uh, about 5% up to 18%. And that's really um, very significant TOC values. Um, the other point to make here too, though, is that uh, these organic deposits are thermally immature. Um, and so that's why we could actually do the kind of, of uh, organic petrology on them because uh, they're not all kind of degraded and cooked up and so on, which is a problem in other areas. Um, the upper Keg River member, uh, that's made up of uh, inner shelf deposits that are dollar stones, um, and they're relatively thin, just a couple of meters, uh, and they thicken up to about 30 meters at the shelf margin, um, and they become uh, much more poloidal. Uh, and locally, there's actually microbial uh, carbonates um, at that shelf margin. And then going basinward, uh, this, the succession thins uh, down to uh, as, as, as uh, low as five meters in the inter-reef areas. Um, and it can be as thick as about 65 meters uh, where we have the reefs, these isolated reefs of the, uh, the, uh, the Cake River in the, uh, in the, uh, in the basin. Uh, and reefs are interesting um, in that they consist of microbial bound stones uh, that are interbedded with um, skeletal rudstones and floatstones and, um, and colloidal limestones. So not the, 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 the typical stromatoporoid type buildups that we think of, but at least in the area, at least in the cores that I saw, they were mostly microbial in terms of their um, organic content. Yeah, so the bituminous laminates are really found throughout the lower and the upper, and then they amalgamate into the bituminous marker in the Lacrete Basin. And you mentioned that these formed during algal blooms. So how do the algal blooms form? And do you see other formations with algal bloom bituminous markers? Or is this something that's unique to the Cake River? The Cake River bituminous marker and the other uh, bituminous laminates have a, a really distinctive algal bloom organic facies that I had mentioned before. So, you know, characterized by uh, these very... Um, prominent, not prominent, but very distinctive um, algal acnate cells. Uh, and um, you know, these, these facies uh, have mass rolls that are similar to the organic facies C, so it's overall a, a sort of a shallow water setting. And, and so the, the prominence of these organic bloom facies suggests that the, you know, the primary control is elevated pr primary planktonic productivity. And that there are still secondary controls, um, basin stratification, likely caused by the high productivity, um, and also variations in sedimentation rates. 
So in terms of algal blooms in general, uh, in modern oceans and lakes, um, they're typically triggered episodically by um, some kind of environmental change. Uh, and the change can be uh, an increase in nutrient supply. Um, and so if we're talking about um, in the oceans, uh, upwelling um, is a, a common trigger. Uh, uh, in lakes in particular, uh, overturning um, of, the, of the water column. Uh, and then in uh, lacustrine or marine settings, um, terrestrial runoff uh, can, um, uh, can trigger it. There can also be changes due to uh, temperature uh, and also salinity increases. So those are all uh, the kinds of uh, changes that um, are um, yeah, significant enough to trigger high productivity in, uh, in uh, phytoplankton. Um, now, in the, uh, the importance of this, um, evidence for the algal bloom facies has been reported elsewhere in the Kegra formation. So in the uh, Rainbow and Zama subbasins, and this was the work that uh, was done by a, a, a former grad student of mine, uh, Naomi Weeb, um, and she looked at the organic rich deposits in the Keg River, primarily the lower Keg River, uh, in Rainbow and Zama, using the same kind of technique. So an integrated sedimentological and organic petrology um, study. And she, uh, we were very fortunate, I won't say just she, but we were very fortunate that Vern Stasiak was helping out and um, was kind of key in, um, in helping Naomi with the, uh, the organic petrology, the identification of the macerals. Uh, we've also done a bit of work um, applying the same approach to the Winnipegosis formation in Manitoba, but you know it's not really st stratigraphically it's it's similar to the uh, to the to uh, to the Keg River. It's a stratigraphic equivalent, um, and that work was done by David McDonald for um, his master's thesis uh, here at the University of Manitoba uh, back in um, uh, 2008. It's when he did that work. And I, I can't really comment um, on other examples where uh, the, the, the bloom facies has been used to, to support uh, the role of high productivity and other types of carbonate deposits. Um, but I am aware um, and have been working on some other um, projects where the role of upwelling um, on uh, carbonate deposits and the, the, the role of upwelling uh, on the, the, the carbonate contribution, so these so-called cool water carbonates um, in the Phanerozoic rock record, in fact, throughout the Phanerozoic, um, it's, that's, that's work that's really um, had a lot of interest, uh, that, that kind of problem has had a lot of interest, and I, it'd be interesting to see if anybody has actually done the organic petrology on some of those. I'm, I'm just not that familiar with uh, some of that work on, in, in terms of more recent uh, recent work and, and in on other units. So it sounds like there's a couple different basins and some more formations as well where you do see this. Um, and you were mentioning earlier that you are starting to retire and that the University of Manitoba is taking some interesting steps on their for future research. So what's next over there? Uh, yeah, it's um, I, I retired on uh, uh, July 1st and so I'm still adjusting and everything else. But uh, we uh, have been fortunate enough, or at least I should say the department has been fortunate enough to uh, be able to hire a new sedimentologist, Ricardo Silva. And he uh, is starting in January 
uh, just chatted with him briefly last week when we were talking about uh, uh, the course that he's going to be teaching and the lab materials and so on. Uh, but his interest is in organic rich deposits as well. And uh, the the approach that he's taken um, based on the talks that I've heard from uh, from him during um, his uh, visit to the department and um, some of the, uh, the the work that I've seen him uh, that of his that I've seen published is he's he's really focusing in on the um, the, the 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 role of organic carbon in terms of understanding the global carbon cycle okay? and the perturbations in that cycle uh, and the relationship to climatic and environmental. Um, disruptions. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, what he, uh, you know, does with his, uh, uh, where he takes his uh, his research and uh, his focus um, uh, in the, the last number of years has been on the Cretaceous, uh, focusing in particularly on coastal areas. Uh, but I can see the uh, potential for him broadening his work to um, different parts of the geologic record and to different environments. Uh, and, and kind of the view perhaps of, of uh, uh, his approach is, you know, the, the reverse of the uh, principle of uniformitarianism, where we can take what we know of the past um, and perhaps use it as a key to understanding the, the present and the future. So I think that's going to be some um, interesting developments that we see uh, on the, the front of uh, uh, dealing with organic uh, rich deposits. So look forward to that. Yeah, this has been fantastic discussing the organic bases and the Duvernay and the Keg River with you, Nancy. And congratulations on this great study and your retirement coming up. And thank you so much for sharing this. Thank you very much for inviting me. Stone's Notes is brought to you by Stone Consulting. We can be found online at www.stoneconsulting.info or send us an email anytime at stoneconsultingcorp at outlook.com. On behalf of everyone here, I'm Maureen Stonehouse. Thanks for joining us. Until next time.